0: Hi there, I'm Thea Dex, music journalist from the Netherlands, specializing in contemporary music. Hope you enjoy my podcast. Here's a recording of an interview with the five nominees for the Goudiamus Music Award 2019, who I spoke before the opening concert on 4 September in Tivoli-Vredenburg, Utrecht. Stefan Meyer from Canada, Nick Morris from Groot-Brittannië, Scott Rubin, out the USA. Kelly Sheehan, out USA. Remis Sue, from Canada. Only Anglo-Saxon people, although you, Stefan, have some German roots. Hein? This is Stefan Meyer, actually. <laughs> but about the music and about your work, you told me before, and it's also, you can read it in the brochure, you are interested in the unpredictability of sounds. And you are a performer yourself. You build installations, but you are also a composer. So how do all these things uh, come together, and this unpredictability? Well,
1: I, I think it's um, it's something that's uh, yeah. I mean, I mean, you touch on a, a, a point of tension in the work, namely between the compositional impulse, like a formalist impulse, let's say, and then one which is kind of interested in exploration of certain kinds of systems or, or unruly materials or something like this. Um, I think that the work tries to dramatize the exploration of this kind of unruliness that I just spoke of. Um, so a work is perhaps exploring a certain system that generates a lot of different kinds of materials and then tries to kind of you know, uh, understand a logic Behind that system, or yeah, if you have like a certain instrument which is prepared in a certain way, which kind of generates all this interesting sound, it's it's about kind of trying to create, discover what language emerges out of it. So I suppose like the way that I would uh, try to address that tension is, yeah, it's right now compositions are emerging out of certain materials. So it's like an, an emergent composition, I suppose. That yeah. would be the way that I would kind of try to formulate some sort of an answer to that. Yeah, b- question. because yeah. it's
0: interesting because you like uh, things to change and, and confront you with different things you hadn't expected. On the other hand, you're very much interested in structure. So how does the, do these two relate?
1: Yeah, I mean, I, I I suppose that's what the that's what the music tries to to answer. I uh, I mean. Uh, yeah, I think that it's, like, it's precisely like musical solutions which try to answer that, that question, I guess.
0: And yeah. there are some pieces that will be performed here by you, which one of them is called Territories Free. That's right. Uh, we Just listen to a fragment from that. Why is it called Territories 3?
1: Uh, it's a series of works which are um, basically about different um, parts of the province in Canada that I'm from, the uh, British Columbia. Um, when I was in college, I worked as a, like a tree planter, so basically I would go out into the woods and I would plant trees. So I, I saw a lot of the province, and I was really interested in um, the kind of the, uh, let's say, the disparity between... Uh, Canadian kind of self-portraiture, which is that, like, Canada, the, the, the great outdoors, like, supernatural, British Columbia. Um, and, and then, you know, uh, being a tree planter, seeing this kind of uh, desolation. Um, and that I think that, you know, Canada is actually maybe more defined by that desolation than this kind of, uh, like I say, self-portraiture, which is very idealized. And so um, all these, these pieces in the Territories series, they're about these different uh, specific places. Um, in in Canada with and specific tried- histories, yeah, and and, and and then try to kind of like reflect on this kind of again this uh, uh, unruly materiality, which is kind of um, I don't know breaking this idealization, if you will.
0: But That's what were fair. we hearing?
1: Right. Uh, oh, so what you were hearing there was um, uh, basically uh, a feedback-based drone. So um, I have live electronics in the piece. Uh, uh, it's Based in a, in a synthesizer, basically. Um, so there's a synthesizer, then what you were hearing was uh, a prepared trumpet and a prepared cello. Um, How and, did you
0: prepare it, the trumpet? Uh,
1: so the trumpet, uh, the, um, the, the valve is actually removed from the guide, um, and then you spin the valve. It's called like valve turning, that's what I've called it. And basically, it's a filtering of noise. So you can kind of have like this, that, that really high hissing. Came from, uh, yeah, making it such that the the valve was barely letting air through, and it creates a lot of pressure. So this is kind of like, like this kind of thing. So I like that. Um, and then the uh, the the cello um, had a, a this this certain clip on the string such that it would only create those um, very high wispy har- harmonics. Um, and I don't know. I guess in in doing that, what I was interested in was sort of Again, trying to take like this, um, yeah, something which is perhaps imbued with like a, a certain idealized history, namely like a cello or a trumpet, and then kind of uncovering a wildness or uh, a, a certain, uh, I don't know, I wouldn't say that it's necessarily grotesque, but a kind of intensity.
0: Yeah. Behind it. Uh, okay, yeah. time's up.
1: Okay, cool. <laughs> Thank you.
0: <laughs> Thank you very much. Uh, Nick Nicholas Morris or Nick also, you are interested in uh, analog sounds from, uh, well, old contraptions. Could you tell us about that?
2: Uh, yes, so um, I think really what I'm interested in is weighing the qualities of analog, um, acoustic and digital media against each other. So a lot of the pieces that I'm writing at the moment bring these things into a shared space and figure out what are the qualities, what are the particular qualities of these different types of media and then explores those differences and tries to bring them out.
0: Yeah, and since when did you become interested in this concept before you wrote classical music, I think?
2: Yeah, I, I mean, I was playing in bands when I was a, a kid. Um, I've been interested in old gear, I guess, since I was sort of a teenager. Um, so I guess probably it's stemming from that, but um, really it's been the last two or three years where I've been really focusing on different types of media, uh, bringing that into an acoustic or uh, performance domain. and. See what I can do with it, I guess.
0: One of the pieces you uh, submitted for the festival Mm -hmm. for the music award was The Traces That Remain. We will hear a fragment of that now. This will be performed tomorrow by Ensemble Insomnio. Um, First, the title again, the traces that remain. The traces of what?
2: Uh, I mean, there are grooves, obviously, that are made in these records. So really what I was trying to do was unpack uh, the instrument and kind of tell the history of recorded sound. Um, The ensemble has got uh, various um, parts, I suppose, of the instrument distributed amongst the group. Uh, Percussionist is playing a cactus. Uh, the cactus needle was originally used on gramophones to spin the disc and to actually make the sound happen. So, really, what I was trying to do was kind of explode the gramophone out and distribute that, see what qualities are there, and work with that.
0: Yeah, I should have filmed you see it on YouTube. Then you see dus so, inderdaad, a cactus with grote stekels, and you wordt dan bespeeld met kleine metalen plaatjes, and that gives dan a very, uh, gritty kind of sound.
2: A sort of granular sound, I guess, yeah, that's yeah. coming from there. Yeah. Yeah. yeah and
0: um, about the instruments, because you said the records you made grooves. So mm. how did, did you make the records yourself?
2: Yeah. So for the for the first performance, we made a set of shellac discs uh, from scratch. Um, we've also we also worked with uh, the stro violin and the strove cello, which you'll also see tomorrow. Uh, these instruments are amazing. They're directional. Uh, They're basically a cello and a violin with a horn attached. Um, I think for the performers, it's a complete nightmare. Uh, They can't hear the sound behind the horn, you know. Uh, But we're having good fun. We're we're trying things out. So, um, yeah, the whole whole instrument has horns of some sort or another. And you'll see those tomorrow.
0: And the interaction with the gramophones? How does that work?
2: Uh, Each gramophone uh, has a particular type of material. There is sort of organic material on... uh, one set of discs, some human material, and then some industrial material, and that then is paired up uh, with various uh, different instrumentalists. Um, The ensemble actually is playing the sort of content, let's say, uh, that you would expect on the disc. That's all been externalized. Uh, And the gramophones themselves are just being used as noise producers, basically.
0: Thank you very much. Now, as we sit on the other side, Scott Rubin, No, no, that is not on. Here. No, this one's on. Oh, that's on. Okay. Now, uh, improvise. Well, improvising, that fits you very well. Perhaps you can explain.
3: You want me to explain improvisation?
0: No, no, no. What it means for your music.
3: In 2013 or 14, I realized that improvisers can usually play their instruments better than what I can write for them. And I would go to improvisation evenings in in Montreal, where I used to live, and be absolutely amazed by the the vibrancy and the spontaneity and the the visceral quality of these souls in the world coming together and finding a solution at that moment that will never happen again. And when I started working with dancers in 2014, we tried to find a marriage between how dancers learn and how musicians learn. And dancers are not going to go on stage and read notation, and so why should musicians, and so how do we form a relationship there? Well, I but think why, Im- improvisation why, yeah. could be a method to do that.
0: Yeah, but why did you start working with dancers in the first place?
3: Why dancers? Um, because all sound for me comes from movement, whether it's, it's electrons on a circuit board or it's um, a vibrating string or a pipe or a piece of material. Everything vibrates, and I, I spent my teenage years doing Karate, and when I was in university, I did a lot of swing dancing, so and I played in orchestras with the conductor. So, movement for me is very um, audio inspiring, if that makes sense.
0: Yeah, and then you translated that into a quite um, well uh, specific concept. You work with dancers, and they have. Um, sensors on their bodies yes misschien kunnen we toch yeah. een stukje horen van intentions which will be performed here in on when oh when it will is be, it? be
3: performed in kicker not here yeah. Yeah. So,
0: yeah but in the festival door maya friedman
3: just before the best part.
0: <laughs> always.
3: Uh, it, it's strange to hear that, that audio because, um, of course there's a dancer in this piece and you have no idea what's going on on stage, but the dancer is actually positioned behind the cellist and she's gripping the cellist's head with one hand and her arm with the other, and she is, she's moving the cellist with her body. And so you have this connection between the dancer, the cellist, and the object. And the dancer's also wearing motion sensors, which is taking the cellist sound and cutting it up in strange ways. But it, yeah, with just audio, it's a bit odd.
0: Ja inderdaad, je ziet straks ook af en toe daarachter ziet u een klein stukje daaruit, Intentions heet het. En de cellist uh, de en de danser, eerst zitten dansen voor. So see, and at first the dancers in front of the cello.
3: Ja, yeah, they, they move around a bit. Ja, en
0: dan ze maken ze soms hetzelfde gebaar. En de danser maakt ook op als er een klik is, bijvoorbeeld een gek gebaar. En dat doet de celliste uh, dan ook. I was wondering about the sensors, because do the sensors actually also create music or drive the the, the cellist to play something else? Or how does it work?
3: So the sensors, it's uh, just accelerometer and a gyroscope. So it measures tilt and how fast something moves. And it sends data to a computer, which also has sound data from the cello. And this data will go into like a virtual guitar pedal and imagine the data turning the knobs on the guitar. So it's transforming the cello sound in real time, if that answers, it. so it doesn't directly create, it creates sound like a conductor through some sort of transmission, either electronic or some uh, human interpretation. But
0: at a certain moment, the cello is not playing and still I hear a cello.
3: There's electronics, you can record but and it, play back.
0: Yeah, so you do that live.
3: Sometimes. You're,
0: you're behind the panel um, in the tech desk and you're manipulating these sounds. Well,
3: yeah, so um, you, you might hear the cello when the cello is not playing because there are cello sounds that I've recorded into the computer that the emotion sensor um, might shape, even if the cellist is not actively playing her instrument.
0: Okay, thank you very much. Kelly Sheehan, you also, you're both from the same city, I think, it's Chicago. Did you know each other before you applied for the Caudi Award?
4: No, we didn't. Ah, no. uh-huh.
0: that's interesting. No. Because you also have a magazine and you promote, I think, colleagues, etc. Yeah,
4: yeah, I think Scott was... This isn't about
0: me. Yeah. <laughs> well, he was fairly new, so um,
4: we hadn't met yet.
0: Okay. Yeah. Your interest, as you mentioned, is in sound particular and also structure. How do you structure sound and what sounds do you like?
4: Structure is, um, I sort of think of it as sort of like a, a, a well, or you sort of make a structure that is coherent and would fit the sounds and the instruments that you want to work with. So each structure of each piece can be different. Um, but I, I have things that I usually like to do, um, but I won't get in, get in too much detail with that. but. Um, I think structure is really important and I usually think of it as sort of like um, two sides. So as I'm exploring these sounds and like finding what I like about these instruments or, or whatever direction I'm taking, I'm also simultaneously thinking about how they would best exist in time and how they could be presented most successfully and most coherently.
0: Yeah. And when you're composing, is it are you behind the desk or are you collaborating with musicians to find the sounds that you would
4: like to hear? It's so, uh, it's usually a little bit of both, but it's mostly collaborating with other people. Um, so I have like a long history of working with other people, um, and that's why like you mentioned the magazine, like community and just sort of co-collaboration is really important to me. And when I'm not directly working with someone, I'm um. I usually have the instrument at home or have access to, to the instrument so I can find things that I like about it and things that really interest me. And then maybe I'll go behind the desk and sort of do that. So it's, it's several stages. Yeah. And
0: finally, there will be a score that can be reproduced by anyone or any ensemble. Sometimes. Sometimes, Sometimes. Sometimes. not
4: always. Not always, but... Okay,
0: let's listen to a fragment of talk circus that will be performed here when on Friday by Slagwerk Den Haag. Hearing what instruments and what else?
4: Um, so you're hearing a variety of things. It's um in that clip you heard kitchen bowls um, and uh chimes. So like these metal balls that have chimes in them. So which are so, have what in them? They're 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 oh, metal. Or chimes. chimes. Of the Chinese yeah.
0: balletjes die you vroeger gebruikte that you didn't klingelend geluid maken. We heet die dingen. There zijn so van die uh, glimmende bollen. En dan zou je dan gezond van worden als je die de hele tijd in je handen draaide.
4: -hmm. Toch? Ja. So those are, those metal chime balls are in a bowl, a kitchen bowl. So the metal is usually thinner. And affixed to the bottom or to the side of these bowls are contact mics. Which then amplify all that sound. And then are going into a no input mixer. Which as prescribed by the score can be uh, distorted or not. Then the other main sound was just a cardboard box uh, that's being bowed.
0: There's a carton of those, the strike stock word was spilled, and no input mixer. Perhaps you can explain what that is, what
4: it does. A no input mixer is just a normal audio mixer. Um, but what you end up doing is you configure it in such a pattern that you're able to make feedback, which makes these loops. So for example, if I wanted to, make a no-input mixer, I would just grab a nearby audio mixer. Um, Instead of having the outputs go to headphones, I could just take that channel and plug it back into input 1. And so there's a circular loop that's occurring. And then you get feedback. And just all this magic happens
0: Uh, inside the console. Thank you very much. Uh, You can talk a little up YouTube scene. Een no input mixer, dan doe je dus in plaats van dat de uitgang naar een koptelefoon of waar dan ook heen gaat boksen, dan stop je ze gewoon weer in de eigen mixer, dus dat gaat dan op een gegeven moment allemaal feedback genereren. Dat zijn die gekke uh, elektronische klanken die je dan hoort. Remy last but not least, can I say that there's a sort of, well, kinship between you and Scott's approach to music?
5: yeah yes, in, in, in that I think you have to see it as much as you have to hear it yeah uh, oh, yes. okay,
0: yeah. uh-huh, so that's a disadvantage because I only have uh, audio, but anyway, you were fed up with being a composer writing notes on a piece of paper, so when did this happen and ha- and why?
5: That happened about um, maybe four years ago, and, and part of it was that um, when kind of sitting down to write the score, I was frustrated that. Um, even if I say had a system I was following that I was really the only force acting on it to a certain extent, and I wanted to be able to open up uh, the way that I work to as many more forces, and and sometimes that involves collaborating with others, sometimes that involves uh, the computer making decisions for me, and also the player input into the system while it's um, during the performance.
0: Yeah, and you are a, a video gamer and you started writing software yourself. What kind of software and how does it work musically?
5: Um, the, the, the software, I guess, is different every, every piece. Um, in, in the case of uh, one of the works that will be on, on Friday, um, the software is uh, testing the competency of the, the performers. That's
0: Foxconn number three. Mm -hmm. Foxconn frequency number three. And then Mm -hmm.
5: tomorrow, um, uh, with uh, not our ensemble, um, it really is a kind of um, uh, an instrument uh, that four players will play together, and they have to negotiate with each other uh, to make a performance. So it is always working a little bit differently, but one of the things is that um, every performance of each of these works are usually quite significantly different.
0: And... um, would you see yourself as a composer or just a collaborative artist who is part of the group?
5: Um, I—it's kind of—it's—I uh, it, mean thats a, I would consider myself an artist, <laughs> and then I'm—I'm—I'm I'm, I'm usually making the—the um, the thing that makes the most sense to me sometimes is I call it algorithmic theater. Uh, that's actually a term that I'm borrowing from uh, another artist, uh, Annie Dorson. Algorithmic call it. theater, Algorithmic which m- theater. seems to make the most sense for me. Okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yes, that's a borrowed term from, from another interdisciplinary artist, uh, Annie Dorson.
0: Let's listen to the fragment of Foxconn, Frequency Number Three. <laughs> How many performers are there?
5: There are three performers.
0: And you yeah. wrote software, they have to do almost impossible things, I think. They're
5: not so much impossible, sometimes... Uh, I would say actually the most difficult parts is when they, they have to work together. Uh, one example of a, one of these um, uh, mini-games that we have for them is that they have to, uh, we call it unison, where they have to play in unison within a 0.3 second uh, window of pressing the key together. And at any point in time that they don't, they have to start from the beginning and, and do it again. And so that, that's an example of one of the, of the games, I guess, that are set up for them to
0: play. And then there's also... 3D printer involved with that? Yes, there's
5: three 3D printers, um, uh, one for each player that is printing a 3D object in real time, um, taking information, it checks in with the system every time it prints another layer of the cube um, to see how well they're doing. So that 3D printer becomes, sorry, that 3D object becomes a, a record of, of that performance for Yeah, that so player. I don't
0: understand how it works, because they have to do all kinds of tricks, more or less, and if they go wrong, the, the, the printer does a, a funny, builds a, a funny well, thing? Well, the or printer or...
5: will, uh, the, the software will take that into account and send to the uh, printer a kind of offset for each um, failure, so that at the end you have, you know, if it's a, it's a cube, it prints a cube, and, and the y-axis is the time domain, and then the offsets are... Um, at that time, when it retrieves the information of how much failure they've, how many times they failed, how many times they succeeded, how many times, yeah, all this other What, what data. will
0: the cube look like when they do everything perfectly?
5: Uh, it will look like a perfect cube. Ah, <laughs> it will look okay. like a cube, <laughs> which has never happened. <laughs> so, usually, this cube comes out a little bit uh, funny, and um, but uh, I anticipate maybe one day we could have a A perfect cube would be very interesting, Yeah, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) so I don't know, Um, yeah, that would be really something. And one final
0: question, it's in the score Mm -hmm. that it has to be performed by Chinese-looking, obviously Chinese-looking people. Yeah, three visibly Chinese performers. A
5: a large part of that is um, uh, the poetry that we are are using, or the poet, um, who was a a worker at Foxconn. Uh, It's kind of, this labor was, uh, it was on the Chinese body. So we wanted to make sure that we would properly represent this. And uh, also, these -hmm. narratives that we are addressing um, are also specifically... um, And some criticisms of piano pedagogy are uh, kind of rooted in this, I don't know, constellation of all these different things, which involves being a a work for the Chinese body.
0: And it's also a kind of protest against the computer industry, Foxconn
5: yeah i mean it, it largely uh troubling largely it's um a part of it is, the, the reason why there are three d printers in it um it we were always thinking about it as a kind of slice of time that these three d printers represent an oncoming of automation um and a lot of uh this kind of specific labor mass manufacturing labor work is m- probably going to be disrupted and already is being disrupted and so the question is about whether Policy is in place to, to, um, to kind of support this transformation. Maybe it's not enough time. Time's <laughs> <up already. laughs> yeah. thank, thank you
0: very much, Rémi yeah. so, uh, Kelly Sheehan, Scott Rubin, Nick Morris, and Stefan Maya, And you a fijn concert and a fijne Muziekweek. Thanks for listening to this podcast by Thea Derks. You can leave a voice message here or visit my blog theaderx.wordpress.com